0: Let's pray first. Got to pray. Jesus, uh, I am so in need of your words, God, because my words cannot affect anyone's life. I cannot pour life into a heart through my own uh, things that I think in my brain. And so, Jesus, I ask your spirit to come and fill me right now, because, Lord, your word is so valuable and precious to us because it does fill up our hearts with water. It fills us up to overflowing, Lord, so that we can be uh, just full of love, God, and full of your grace. So that's our request, Jesus, that you would fill us up, Lord, that we would chew on the meat of your word here and see your great love and and how you work so practically in the world. In your name we pray, amen. Last week, we studied chapter 9, which comes right before chapter 10, and it's a good thing because... We learned about Alexander the Great and how Alexander the Great was prophesied in Scripture, and it was it, it was written 150 years or yeah 150 years before Alexander was even born, and yet it describes his exact track through the Promised Land as he was conquering the north uh, from the north there in in Asia Minor and going down into Egypt, and then he paused and took a little journey over to Jerusalem, and he actually worshipped the Lord there because uh, because God said that he would protect Israel from this Alexander the Great guy. And we talked about how amazing that prophecy was. And then we saw the second half of the chapter was how the Lord contrasted Alexander the Great, which is a great king who ruled the world at his time, with the real king that was going to come, which was Jesus. And he said, behold, your king comes lowly and riding on a donkey. And how that was a prophecy for how Jesus would come lowly and riding on a donkey. Just a humble a completely um, selfless man coming to serve the people, and he came on a donkey. And we we talked all about that last week. Now we're getting into another prophecy here, and uh, let's go ahead and dive in in Zechariah chapter 10. It says, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain grass in the field for everyone. So what is the latter rain? Well, in Israel, this was the time of April and May, the springtime wet season. There was a fall wet season. That was like the, the former rains, and then there's the latter rains, and the latter rains were the spring, springtime rains. And these ones made Israel beautiful during that time all through the summer periods. It sustained Israel during those dry summer months. Now, Israel, you may think in your mind what, what we think of Israel, what we see of Israel is as, as a dry and arid land. Okay, that's what you have in your mind. But that's not really how it was back then. Back then, it was a luscious, forested land, which is kind of crazy. In fact, when I was there just in, in November, it, it's... It really shocked me. It's, it's come back, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because we actually get that prophecy here in this chapter. Uh, but it, it reminded me a lot of Colorado. Like, it, as I, being from here and being from the mountains, it seemed like like the Colorado Springs type area. There was these pine trees everywhere. And I was really shocked. I was like, Israel, this is going to be like, if I see a tree, it's going to be a palm tree, right? Because you're thinking tropical. and But it's not like that at all. There's, there's like pine trees and Uh, other trees, eucalyptus trees and gum trees and and all these different combinations of of plant life that I'd never seen before, but it certainly wasn't desert and dry. Yes, there was desert and dry areas, but the majority of it was cultivated. And we're going to get to that part of it in just a minute. But back then, these latter rains caused Israel to be green and and luscious the whole time. I think in my mind of driving through like the south of the United States, uh, like more of the southeast where it's green all the time. And that's really how it was, even though it's not humid there in Israel like that. So, what happened, this is pretty amazing, you've got to get a little history lesson here, is after the Romans ruled Israel for a little while, after Jesus, okay, the Romans ruled for a little while, and through a series of events it fell, the control of it fell to the Turks. And the Turks, when they came in, they didn't want to have anyone live there. They didn't want it to be inhabited. They just, they didn't care about it. And they, their big thing was like Mecca and all that stuff. And so they decided they were going to tax the people who lived in Israel. And your, your tax rate was determined by how many trees were on your land. And so it didn't take very long for the people to figure out I just need to cut down all my trees and I won't have to pay as many taxes. Which is a great idea in the short term, but in the long term, it devastated the land. And the land became dry and it became arid and and the topsoil eroded away. And you had for the next 2,000 years, just a desert land that people were like, why did anyone live here? This isn't a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a barren wasteland. And yet even in that, desert time, we see that that fulfilled prophecy as well. The Lord said that would happen. So, but he says here, if you ask for rain in the time of the latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds and he will bring showers of rain and grass for everyone in the fields. So here we find the Lord is drawing his people to ask him for rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, we can, we can look at the application of that being for that day and those time and those people that the Lord wanted them to just trust him for their dependency, um, to depend on him for their sufficiency, for their, their daily needs. He wanted them to call upon him. All right. But if you also look at it through this time, you had this about 2,000 years that have passed. And then it's amazing that the Lord brought the nation of Israel back. And we're going to get into that in just a minute, too. And this time when Israel comes back is called the last days in the Bible, which days we are living in right now. And it started in 1948, when Israel became a nation again. And so these last days, the Lord, I believe, is saying, this is the days that when we can pray for the latter rain. The, the, and when we speak of rain, we, um, it reminds us of the book of Joel. And in the book of Joel, it says that in the last days... The Lord would pour out his Holy Spirit mightily and young men, women, will prophesy and men when they're prophesying it'll be a great time. So we are living in these last days when I believe the Lord is willing to pour out His Holy Spirit. He's willing to do great things with people who will attempt great things. And I, I explained to you guys that I went out the last couple of days and while I was driving out there, I was thinking, who am I to, to go out there and talk to someone? And I had that fear. Like, I know that all of you feel when you even think about going out and talking to people you don't even know, strangers, and telling them about Jesus. I, I get it. But I asked him to fill me with his spirit. And, and we, I even felt, like, all just upset. And I, was, and I asked him, Lord, would you just call me? And my wife prayed for me. It was wonderful. And... And I went out, and the Lord did amazing things that was from His Spirit. And I truly believe that with all my heart. It was nothing of me, but the Lord poured out His Spirit because I asked. I asked Him to. And it's, it's funny because it's not just going to come upon us if we don't ask Him. He's not just going to come upon us. You know, sometimes we just... May think, uh, okay, I'm, we sit there with our arms crossed and folded and our attitude of, oh, the Lord can pour out a spirit on me if he wants to. He knows where I'm at. He's got my address. If he wants me to be, could be out there witnessing to the people, if he wants me telling people, he'll drop it right in my lap. And we get, we get that kind of just arms crossed. Like, I'm, just, I'm just seeing what's going to happen. I'm just seeing, you know, hmm but here the Lord is asking his people to ask him for the rain like personally ask for it you know we can study it we can observe it we can even identify it and say I go to the church of the Holy Spirit filled church people but unless we are personally alone in our closet in our bed asking him I don't know if anything is really happening. We need to ask for it. You know, we don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit like they did in the day of Pentecost. And the, the day of Pente- when the day of Pentecost came, they were up there waiting, and Jesus told them, wait for these few days until the day of Pentecost came. And, and we don't have to wait like that anymore. They waited, and the Holy Spirit came down, and it was amazing, and there's tongues of fire, and people speaking in tongues, and... I can't even imagine what that was like. But they had to wait for it. We don't even have to wait. He said he'll come into your life instantly when you ask. Which is pretty amazing. But we are called, we don't have to wait for him, but we are called to wait upon him. Which is two different things. You know, a waiter doesn't wait for you. I guess in a sense they're, they're waiting for you to get there and then when you get there they wait upon you. But what's the difference between those two things? When you're waiting upon someone you're, you're still with them. They're, they're watching you. That waiter is like hmm, they're, they're looking at their menu. All right, oh, I think their water needs some. Let me go get some water. Alright. Alright, they said they waved me off and said they're still thinking. They're having a conversation. I'm going to let that go. A really good waiter Pays attention, right? I think that's what the Lord is calling us to do as well. Not wait for him. We don't have to wait for his presence to be near to us, but to be waiting upon him, to be spending time with him, and to be asking him, you got what you need? You okay? Like think of yourself like a waiter upon the Lord. Are you okay right now? What can I do to make you to please you right now? Well it's one o'clock in the morning, I'm kinda tired, but what do you want from me, Lord? Want me to pray for a minute? Okay, I'll get up and pray. If someone gets on your heart, okay, I'll pray. You know, I think of I think of Noah. You remember Noah? When he was there on the on the Ark, not the movie, not the new movie that's I know you all just immediately thought Noah killing the babies and stuff, but no. Noah, the real Noah, when he was on the Ark and and he he released that dove. And remember it says it found no place to rest its its foot, and so it came back and and I wonder if the Holy, that's kind of like the Holy Spirit in our city of Denver. If, he, if, if he's just circling around and looking for someone, some place he can land, some place he can just pour out upon. I wonder. And then we see what, what happened with Noah, is he reached out his hand to take that dove back in. He had to do something. Remember, back on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 people earnestly seeking the Lord. They were praying and fasting to the Lord with all their hearts. And so, you know, we can't just do this, like, sit there with folded hands saying, well, if the Holy Spirit wants to land on me, he sure can. We have to ask the Lord and expect these showers to come. You know, um, we sang that song tonight. Living water rained down on me. I just, it's perfect. I didn't even do that. I just picked a song that was in the key of G. Because <laughs> my other songs are in the key of G. And as I'm singing, I'm like, this is glorious because I knew what he was going to talk about. So I was like, oh, it's so cool when he does something like that. Just give us a total picture as we're singing of what he's going to talk about. So I love that. All right, so that's verse one. We're going to go a little faster through the rest of the chapter, okay? (laughs) Verse 2 says, For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and the false and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. So he's saying, I want you to ask me of this water. Okay, I want you to ask me and I'll give it to you. I promise. I'll I'll refresh you. I'll bring what you need if you just come to me. We, We got that lesson. He says, because the idols, they speak delusions. The diviners envision lies and they tell false dreams. Idols don't work. Nothing but the Lord will bring this rain into our life. And so... Interesting, listening to the liberal media of our day, uh, the liberal education community, you know, they seem so determined to encourage one another that they're right in their fight against God and morality. And they intend to make us, as Christians and believers, look like freaks and religious nuts for believing simply in the Word of God. That's their intent. Oh, but they they can't bring the rain they can't they can they can't satiate my soul they cannot pour into my heart what it longs for and what it needs and in turn you know the people who follow them and trust in them they wander like sheep in, throughout this world and they're in trouble the world is in trouble when it listens to itself there has to be another voice. And I believe with all my heart that it's us. Even though we are humble and meek and we lack resources, the simple truth that we speak rings louder than we could ever know in the darkness and confusion of this world. You know, we go out there and we say, I just love Jesus and I don't know what to tell you about your baby mama and the guy that ripped you off on your pot deal and i don't know how to fix these problems in your life but i go i went to church and i love jesus and i'm happy like i i I know that he's working in my life i know i'm forgiven and they're like whoa that sounds so dumb and you walk out of the room and they're like i wish i was like that they really do the simple truth of love and forgiveness is what this world is longing for, and they can't find it anywhere. But we have this voice, you know, and they're in, they're in trouble, you know. They they got all these things going on in their trouble. But look at what the Lord says about these about about this situation. In verse three, he says, "My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herds." He doesn't call them shepherds. He calls them goat herds. I think, really, it's a play on words. It's, it means a shepherd of goats. It's, he, he's like, you guys don't even deserve to be called shepherds. These people that were leading those, uh, supposedly leading his people. It says, for the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as a royal horse in battle. In the battle... Uh, From him comes the cornerstone. From him comes the tent peg. From him comes the battle bow. From him comes every ruler together. Well, what does all that mean? Let me help you. Well, let's start first. He says, those false leaders, they make the Lord angry. People who say, these false shepherds are people who say they know the way, but they don't. Like the college professors who, who say... This is the philosophy that you need to believe, and this is the, the psychology that works on the human brain, and you don't need God because of blah, 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 blah. And, and they, they're leading people astray. Anyone that says you don't need God, leading them astray. They're goat herds. <laughs> I like that term. And it it, it reminds me of Matthew chapter 7, and would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, just so we can see it with our own eyes, and uh, it's always good to lay your eyes upon the Word of God. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus is talking about the same subject. Maybe he was reading Zechariah 10 in the morning. Maybe he got up early and, and got his scrolls out, and was reading the Zechariah scroll, and and got to this section, maybe this was on his mind, and he said, in chapter 7, verse 15, he said, "...beware of false prophets who come to you in, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit." But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. You know, dang- uh, false teachers are so dangerous. If you if your version of Christianity is what you see on TV with the teachers that are on TV, you're gonna what you're watching is false teachers for the most part. A good majority of them are just terrible. They don't teach the Word of God. They're not truthful to what the Word of God says. And they're presenting this out there, and the world is watching it, and you're like, "Wow! Well, if that's what Christianity is, I don't, want anything, I don't want any part of it. And if I was watching that, I would say the same thing. I don't want a part of that. But the Lord gives us a litmus test How we can determine who to listen to or not. He says, Look at the fruits of their life. Look at their diet. They look like sheep on the outside, but what are they eating? And he says, Here, they're ravenous wolves. Well, if they're eating sheep, they might not be a sheep, they might be a wolf. If the fruit of their ministry is people are getting torn down, people are getting ripped off, and people are being hurt. It's a false teacher, and I don't care what the name is on the church. It could be a good name, a church with a good reputation. But if people are getting hurt, it's, not, it's a false thing. And the Lord, he, it says, his anger is aroused at that. And as a pastor, when I read that, I'm like, oh boy, I need to make sure that I'm caring for the people. That my diet is correct. That I'm eating of the grass of the Word of God <laughs> and not wanting people to like me. So, then he says that the Lord will visit his flock. It's another description of how the Lord will restore. Our, our whole uh, series has been restoration project, and this is another way that the Lord comes in and restores his people as he comes and visits them. And here specifically he says he's going to come to the house of Judah, which is very interesting because Jesus was born into which tribe of Israel? Judah. And here's a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. You might not have known that. But Jesus fulfills this. In fact, this whole list here is about Jesus. And I, I'm amazed at how you find Jesus on every page in the Word of God. And here it says, He will visit, he will come from the house of Judah, and, uh, and, and it says that He will be a cornerstone. Well, that's pretty easy. We've actually already studied this in the book of Zechariah, that Jesus was the cornerstone. And, uh, and, and he is the, the cornerstone of the church, and the cornerstone of our entire salvation is Jesus. It says here that he would be a tent peg, or the tent peg could, would come from Judah. And I think to myself, wow, a tent peg, that is an interesting way to talk about someone. But as you think about it, it makes sense. A tent peg is something that held down the tent, And it kept it from blowing wherever the wind blew. And it it, it kept it, held it secure and firm. Which is what Jesus does to someone's life. Also, you could put a tent peg in the wall and you could hang your backpack on it. Or you could hang your life on it. It was dependable. Okay, so Jesus is the cornerstone. He's what everything's built on. He's the tent peg. He makes it dependable. And then it says, he'll be the battle bow. And then he will be the the end of all rulers. He will be the final ruler. Those are two parts of Jesus' life that have not yet been fulfilled, as we've seen. But the book of Zechariah is filled with these prophecies of both Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And so his first coming, he fulfilled the first two, where you can hang your life on him, you can trust him, he's trustworthy, he's the cornerstone of your salvation. If you believe in him, your whole life is going to be built up into a house to glorify the Lord. But, The second part, the battle bow, we haven't seen that yet. But we're going to see a whole lot about it in the next few chapters. It's going to be amazing. And he will rule, which is the second uh, part. You know, he will come, there will be a big battle, and then he will rule. So look with me now at verse 5 and 6. It says, They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back, because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside, for I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. So he's saying, even though they've rejected me, I am coming back, and will have mercy upon them. I will restore them. So this was true with Israel this time, that they had rejected him and they had gone through their 70 years of captivity and they are coming back and Jesus said, I'm going to fight for you. Okay, I'm still, I'm with you. But then when Jesus himself would come down, they would reject him again. And in that rejection, he says, even though you reject me at that time, I'm going to come back to you. And, it, and this is amazing because it says in the Bible that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back flying like out of the sky. Heaven's going to open up and he's going to come back and it says that they will look up and they will see him coming. They will say, behold, he comes with ten thousands of his saints and you know who those ten thousands of saints are? You. It says, Jesus is going to be riding on a horse and we're all going to be riding on horses with him. And the Antichrist is going to be gathered against all of China. And they're all going to be in the land of Israel, this whole battle of Armageddon. And they're going to be there and they're going to be fighting against each other. And then the Antichrist is going to look up and Jesus is coming down out of the sky. And the Antichrist is going to say, I hate you. And he's going to shoot nuclear bombs at him. And Jesus is going to speak one word and they're all going to die. That's the battle bow that Jesus wields. His word. And in this, and then Jesus goes there. The whole world and every enemy is taken out, and he sets up his kingdom. It's amazing, and it says that when they see him coming, the Jews, because they're they're just they're in the middle of this big battle, and the Jews see him coming, they will look at him. And we're going to see this later in Zechariah, and they'll see the wounds in his hands and his feet, and they will say, "Where did you get those wounds?" And he'll say, I got them in the house of my friends. Not from you guys, you stinking crucifiers. No, he said, I will got them in the house of my friends and they will all believe and be saved. That's the end. And here, that's what he's saying. I will hear them when they they call upon me. I will be there. I'm not going to be there saying... Uh, Too late. No. He's going to save them. Look at verse 7. It says, These of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man. Their heart shall rejoice as if if with wine. Yes, their children will see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. See, when Israel finally accepts their Messiah, they will be so happy. They will be filled with joy. And that's not lost on God here. God is telling us beforehand I'm in it to to make them happy. I want to cause them to joy. They they're longing for this day and they don't even know it. And the Jews are so passionate and so angry and bitter. And they don't know why. And God is going to turn all that anger and bitterness into joy. It's just going to be awesome. His intention is to bring his people joy. And so he brings the question in our mind, does God want you to be happy? And the answer is yes. In his time and in his way, yes. It has to be his way, though. Why? Because he's the source of joy. So how can... uh, So there can only be um, imitations of that joy apart from him. So when you're united with him, when you're with him, and he comes and he's ruling in your life man, joy is just a byproduct, And I know there's some of us that have really struggled with joy and depression, and we think there's no way out. And the real key is, and what you can explain to your friends and your neighbors and your, your, your family that struggle with depression, is the only way out is Jesus. It's the only way. You take every thought captive, and you lay it before the feet of Jesus. And as you do that he does a remarkable healing and restoration in your heart. and it's, it's amazing. Now, look at verse 8 and 10. This is going to be incredible, incredible. But before Jesus comes back, he gathers his people together in the land of Israel. So I'm going to give you that little precursor to what we're talking about here. So before that whole event that we just talked about with Jesus flying on the horse and everything, and it says he has a big tattoo on his leg that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Not joking. It's for real. Before that, he brings the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. That's what this is about. Verse 8: I will whistle for them and gather them. I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live together with their children, and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. In other words, they'll fill up the whole land of Israel. And we, you and me, have seen this happen in our lifetime. Even a little bit before us, but people are still alive that saw the beginning of the whistle. Did you know that? God started to whistle in the early 1900s even late 1800s the jews started to feel this this desire to go back to the land of israel you know for 2000 years they lived all around the world there was huge jewish populations in poland and germany and brazil and and mexico and america huge new york had millions and they still do just huge Jewish populations all around the world. And they were just fine. They were doing all right. But there came a time, late 1800s, where they started to feel this, this Zionist idea, uh, this idea that we have been called to that land, and I think God wants us to live there. That started to rise up in their hearts, and they started to go. So they scat- They were scattered all around the world, just like God said they would be. And, you know... Um, both Jewish and Christian Bible scholars wondered if, this, if the prophecy of a regathering would ever come true. And there's, there's Bible teachers from the 1700s and 1600s and 1500s who said, this is going to happen. The Jews are going to go back to Israel. And they were laughed at. And they were scoffed and mocked. Because they're like, how could that have? No country has ever been destroyed and all their people scattered and then come back Even 10 years later, nonetheless, 1,800, 1,900 years later, that's impossible. It can't happen. But when God does it, it's an absolute miracle. Many people have said, the biggest proof that we have today that there is a God is that the nation of Israel exists. And that's incredible. So they were scattered. And in 1896, the World Zionist Organization was founded with the idea of enabling the Jews to return to their land. And without official permission from any government and against the bans of Great Britain and all the other Arab nations, Jews began settling, sneaking into and settling into, into Israel. And then we know what happened. The Holocaust happened. World War II happened. And the Jewish, uh, it's, it's interesting because as Hitler was rising to power and some of the Jews started to see what was going on, They boarded a bunch of ships. And they got on all these boats and they went down to Israel and Great Britain turned them away and said, you can't get in. And they're like, but don't you see what's going to happen? And they said, we don't care. And because of political stuff, they sent them away and a lot of those Jews ended up in prison camps and in the Holocaust. It's just crazy what happened. But after the Holocaust in May 14th, 1948. The Jewish leaders signed a proclamation of independence and 11 minutes after it went into effect, the United States government, uh, President Harry Truman, said the U.S. government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in, in Palestine and the U.S. government recognizes that as the provisional government uh, for the state of Israel. And many countries followed the lead of the United States and that's how Israel became a nation. That's when the whistle started to get really loud. And the Jews started flocking in there. So this is what's prophesied here, that they would return to the land. <clears throat> They're going to keep returning to the land. Even today, there's, a, there's many Jews that move back all the time. They're having to constantly build more settlements. It's pretty amazing. But notice what well, we're going to get into this verse. This isn't going to be easy for the Jews. It wouldn't be easy. And we know from history just how difficult it would be. But look at what the Bible says as it prophesies about the Holocaust right here in verse ten or 11. It says, He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. And then he says, So I will strengthen them in the Lord. And they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. This verse is talking about, I believe, the Holocaust. That the the process of them being able to return would have to happen with much affliction. And when I was in Israel, I got to go to the Holocaust museum that they had built there in Jerusalem, and it was truly one of the most horrifying things you could ever imagine. You go through it and you see the progression from the beginnings of it and what the attitudes were and they have videos and they show you what it was like. They show you how Hitler was rising and then they showed, went through the camps and what they were like and then they take you through this one room and, and as you look down, it's a glass and there's just like a pile of shoes of, of people, the Jews, that were killed. And then you go through and and there's just all these different things that you see and and you get to the end and it's a room as big as this whole entire sanctuary but round and uh, as tall, if not taller than this whole sanctuary with rows and rows and rows of binders with names of every single person that was killed. Every name. Over six million names are there. and They have every one of them written down. And you see in that... That the Lord was right, the Lord said. But the Lord is working. The Lord is bringing them back. The Lord said there would be affliction. Now, no one could say, "Oh, well." From this verse, are you saying that God, you know, that the Holocaust? We could have known that it was coming. No, obviously, we can look back and see, you know, that the Lord was doing that. But you know, and then then they ask the question, "Well, does that mean the Lord caused the Holocaust?" And the answer is, the Lord is working for the people of Israel. He's working for them. And many hearts in Israel are seeking the Lord because of that. And these prophecies, they're so amazing, but so real. And as they see it in their life, they know people personally that were killed in the camps, and they know people that went through affliction. They really have to deal with that and be like, Where's God? What is God doing? And if they would read the book of Zechariah, which is sitting on all their shelves, every single person over there has the Old Testament sitting right there. They could look at this verse and they could say, verse 12 So I will strengthen them, says the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in His name. If they just would know His name, they would just call upon the name of the Lord, which is Jesus, you know, they would be saved. And they will. They will. And then it says it mentions Assyria and Egypt, and what that means is that the, those nations that have been a pain in the back of God's people for so long, they're going to be nothing in the end. And just like those things that plague you in your life consistently, they go away at the arrival of Jesus. When Jesus shows up in your life, when you invite him in, when you pray for that rain, man, your problems, the Egypt and the Assyria, those things that never seem to go away, they do in the Lord. It Doesn't feel like it immediately, but just, just trust in the Lord and wait upon him. And you'll see him fight your battles. There may be some affliction on the way, but his plan is always restoration. Is always to bring you back. So the rebirth of Israel will eventually culminate in Jesus ruling the whole world from Israel in peace, bringing peace to the whole world. And you and I are seeing this today. We I've been to Israel. You can go there. It's real. It's there. The forests are coming back. The, it's really interesting. The, the The nation of Israel. One of their first big thing that they did was they they said we're going to reforest the land, and they planted billions of trees. Just trees everywhere. And if you go there today, all those trees are big. And it's forested again, and it looks like, like black forest in a lot of places. It's amazing. And it, it changed the climate, too. The climate was so dry, it actually changed the climate. And there wasn't any of uh, rains. For those 2,000 years, there was no latter rains. There was no rains because of this trees being cut down. But you go there today, and the latter rains are back. They're back. And it's amazing. It's a visual thing that we can look at and say, God is working in the world today. And so he's working in our lives, too, the exact same way. Pray for the rains and see what God does in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're going to come back and that you give us this chapter, Lord, full of of so much promise and full of also so much warning. Lord, warning against false teachers and and warning against sin and warning against rebellion, Lord God. And we don't want to be those things, Lord. We want to just trust you and just call upon your name while we still can. Lord, while we're still in this earth. Lord, when we die... When we go to heaven or we get raptured, whatever happens first, Lord, there'll be no need for us to depend upon you, call upon you in the way that we can now. This is our one chance, Jesus, to trust you without seeing you. And Lord, you say there will be great reward if we do that. So Lord, cause us and and stir in our hearts to take leaps of faith, bounds of faith, trusting you, recklessly abandoning everything for you, Jesus. Because, God, You are so trustworthy. You never fail. And I will die saying that, that You never fail. You never let go. You are always there for us. And we love You, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.